0: Hello, Welcome to the Trust Your Body Project, a podcast designed to help you heal, eat, and create space for the things that truly matter. I'm your host, Whitney Catalano. I'm a health at every size, registered dietitian, offering online coaching to help you break free from the diet binge cycle, make peace with your body, and take the power back from your inner bully. So on today's episode, um, I'm going to be just talking pretty much about what this podcast is going to be about. So the beginning is going to be what it, you can expect. And then in the middle the main dish, and I'll explain that in a second, uh, will be my history with sort of eating. And I'm feeling very introspective today. So I'm excited to to record that when I'm feeling very sort of, you know, peaceful and like ready to kind of dive in and talk about it. And then at the end, I'm going to talk a little bit about how my relationship with food has impacted my life. And we'll, we'll, we'll keep it light. Like I'm, I'm going to dive in here. And I, if you are here to hear a very emotional story, you may get a few feels, but, <laughs> um, I also want this to be a very positive space. Um, As much as I want it to be a very honest and vulnerable space, so I'm really, really excited about it. Thank you so much for joining me in this first episode and for tuning in. Because I know the people who are starting at this first episode are probably people who have been following me for a while and who are pretty loyal in my community. And I just am so grateful for you. Like you have no idea. This is. I've honestly, I. Have been wanting to make a podcast for a while, and all the interviews that I've done for this podcast so far. So I've already done four interviews, which is wild. Um, But I like am happiest when I'm working with clients, and when I'm doing these interviews for the podcast, and when I'm even like right now recording this podcast. I just this brings me so much joy, and I hope that this is a podcast that will end up bringing you a lot of joy and a lot of information, and just like you know awareness of the world so yeah or awareness of yourself or whatever you want to take from it anyway all right let's let me get through the rest of my script and then we're gonna dive in Okay, so this podcast is brought to you by my Patreon. Um, If you want to join a community of supportive and compassionate people dedicated to healing their relationships with food, head on over to patreon.com slash trustyourbodyproject to learn more. And I will link all of this in the show notes for you so that you don't have to try to spell that all. (laughs) By becoming a monthly patron, not only will you get lots of exclusive content and support from me, but you will also be directly supporting the creation of this podcast, which I'm serious seriously so beyond grateful for. So this week in the Facebook group, we are working through 10 weeks of intuitive eating. So each week I've been posting a discussion of one of the 10 principles of intuitive eating with tips and discussion prompts and extra goodies. So as I continue to release episodes, I may talk about what we're talking about in the Facebook group that week. Uh, Right now, while I'm recording this, we're on week three. I think that it'll probably be week five when this actually comes out. Every single dollar that you contribute to Patreon is benefiting my podcast production. All of it goes to the podcast. So eventually I'll be able to hire like a moderator for the group to help me sort of regulate it as it grows and um, help me, you know, really step my game up when it comes to the production. So I'm very, very excited about that. And I feel so grateful. So I just want to say a quick disclaimer, and this is straight from Christy Harrison on food psych. I find this so important. And if you're not listening to the food psych podcast, like you need to be listening to it, but A quick disclaimer that the information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. So that's my little disclaimer for you. Okay, so how this podcast is going to work, and I'm very excited, is that there's going to be three sections. Sometimes there will be two sections, in which case I'll let you know, but this podcast, I'm like literally gleeful I can hear the smile on my face but this podcast is gonna be designed like a meal <laughs> so there's gonna be the appetizer section which is this <laughs> there's gonna be a main dish which is gonna be like the the meat of a, the whatever it is like the topic that I'm focusing on that week or the interview right now I'm doing a ton of interviews for those sections and then there's gonna be a dessert section at the end and the dessert section is gonna be very very like fun light like a Just a nice way to end it. I'm probably going to talk about love because I love, (laughs) love, love. And I really want to have a space where I can talk about that because I think it's really important. A lot of what we're talking about is self-love, right? But if we're not talking about like relationships with other people, then all of this self-love is happening in a vacuum and it's not really applicable to real life. Like what happens when you date or what happens when you, you know, fall in love with someone or fall out of love with someone or whatever it is, you know, it's like, we got to talk about this stuff. So if you have suggestions, um, you can definitely head on over to my Patreon and let me know, or in the Facebook group, you can let me know what your suggestions are. I imagine I'll be doing polls and stuff in the Patreon to see what y'all want. So yeah, that'll, that'll be there. Um, so for this appetizer section today, I wanted to explain that how this podcast is laid out. And I wanted to talk about my sort of rules and what you can expect. So for starters, I'm never going to use the O word. Um, and if you don't know what I mean by that, (laughs) it's the medical term for fat. Basically, um, I'm never going to use the O word, um, not even like neither O word. (laughs) Um, because I find those words very violent and I will talk about that at a later episode. The only time which I might say it is if one, I'm either talking about a particular research article, in which case I will put a content warning at the beginning. I'll say a content warning or two, if like I'm talking about it in, and I'll like literally say, you know, quote unquote, but for the most part, like it's out of here. I will warn you that if I ever link to research articles, which I will do a lot, just your normal trigger warning that research articles pretty much exclusively use those words because that's how the medical community has decided to like categorize people. So there's nothing I can do about that. I can't put in like censored research articles because that's not my job. Another thing, another rule here is no numbers. Um, so no weights, no calories. I'm going to try not to reference particular diets either, or like things that people have done to lose weight or things that, you know, disordered eating behaviors, whatever it is, because I just don't want to give you any ideas. I don't want any comparison or for you to feel like you need to be doing something or whatever it is. Like, I don't want you to be sitting here listening to a episode and like comparing yourself. So Definitely no numbers. I will bleep those out if a guest says them. Um, I'm going to try my best to not use gendered language, and that's something I've really been like aware of recently. So that's out. I will, like I said before, I will include content warnings at the beginning of sensitive episodes. And yeah, a quick note about privilege. So I do want to talk about my body a little bit and the fact that I am a thin white cis woman who was raised, you know, upper middle class, and I have a lot of privileges. And so I just want to be super transparent about that, that I am aware of my privileges. I am working every single day to unpack my biases. And part of the point of this podcast is to bring a lot of different voices on and to have a lot of different perspectives that you are going to hear from because I, there's no way that I could like sit here and talk by myself about all these different like perspectives or experiences of the world. Like that's just not, I don't have those experiences. So it's not my place to necessarily talk about them in the full scheme of things, right? Like I'm obviously going to be talking about different things like race and gender and, um, you know, socioeconomic status and how all these intersect with, and those are not the only ones, but how all of these, these intersections happen within the fat activism or like body positivity movements, body liberation movements. So, um, I just wanted to like let you all know, but if there is anything that I say or do where I maybe my privilege, like I'm unaware of something that I've said that was like very privileged or coming from a place of privilege, or maybe I said something that offended someone on accident, like please let me know. I do want to learn and grow. Please be nice about it. Um, I constantly have people giving me their opinions on what I do and it's um, a lot. (laughs) And so just please be kind about it. It, but if I get something wrong, you can email me at podcast at whitneycatalano.com. Again, I will link that in the show notes. Um, but I will learn, I will take it into consideration. And if I get emails like that, I will probably I'll say that. I'll be like, hey, in the last episode, I, you know, made this mistake and I want to correct it. So you can expect that from me. A lot of people ask me what privilege is. So I do want to cover that really quickly because I feel like that is something that if you don't know what privilege is, you're probably like, What is she talking about? Um, so privilege is essentially when You have a certain quality that puts you in a position to receive more opportunities or more fair treatment than someone else. So a lot of people often mistake privilege, and it's usually people with privilege who make this mistake. (laughs) So just like if this is something, if you feel offended by the word privilege, you probably have privilege. And I would encourage you to look into that. Um, So a lot of people mistake privilege as like you've had an easy life. You can have had a hard life, but you're still like able to walk around in the world in a certain way because of the way that you look or because of some aspect of your body. Like that's, that's what privilege is. So for example, the world is made for thin people. Um, one of the things that gets brought up a lot with thin privilege is that, you know, I'll have people message me like, yeah, you know, in addition to all these things that I mentioned, like not being able to sit in certain seats, like at restaurants and stuff and like having to check and make sure a restaurant is accessible, um, you know, not really being comfortable or being able to sit on an air. Playing, like that's something that I don't ever have to worry about. And that's like, that in itself is privilege, if that makes sense. So, another way that this shows up and something that I had never even thought about, and if you've never had to think about, oh, yeah, like that would make things harder, then that's a privilege because you've never had to think about it, but someone else has because of their body. So, for example, I never had to think about the fact that like I can fit on any roller coaster that I want. I can go to any theme park and like sit on a roller coaster. And there's a lot of people. Who who can't who can't go on roller coasters and who can't go to theme parks and enjoy themselves and like that in itself is just so that breaks my heart because like If you love roller coasters, but you just like can't ever go on them That's just a constant reminder that like the world is not built for you. Um and so there there are these things right that that you just might not have to think about so my goal with this podcast is to really use my privilege and use my platform um, and use also the fact that I'm a dietitian and the fact that I have credentials and have credibility and know a lot of dietitians and a lot of healthcare professionals as um, a space to promote a bunch of different voices and perspectives so that you can learn from a wide range of people that you might not have otherwise been exposed to, or maybe you have been exposed to, but you just like want to hear me talk to them. That's cool. So that's like my whole point is we all raise each other up. We're raising together. And I'm very, very excited about this. Like I can't even tell you. So before I said if I get something wrong to kindly email me, um, this doesn't mean that I want you to be like 100% comfortable when you listen to this podcast, because a lot of these topics that we're going to be talking about are probably going to make you uncomfortable. It's kind of exposing a side of the world that maybe you haven't had to think about before, or maybe you have had to think about before, but like you didn't really know how you fit into this or how like eating fits into all of this, because eating is like so political and, and health is so political and it's so intersectional. And we need to talk about how a lot of health is very oppressive and the way that we go about health and health messaging in this country is like extremely oppressive. And so that is something that I hope will make you a little bit uncomfortable. And I really, really hope that if something makes you uncomfortable, you take the time to sit with it and think about it. And then, you know, form an opinion after that, maybe do a little more research. Uh, One thing that I will ask of you is to never like seek out and harass my guests or, you know, to go after them and be like and and state your disagreement like if you have a problem with something that i've said on on the podcast because you're personally offended or whatever it is, like come to me about it. Don't ever go to my podcast guests and the people who I interview because they are being so generous with their time and their knowledge and their vulnerability. Honestly, to like come on a podcast and just hope for the best. I know you won't. My community is so good. Like I love you guys. I'm ah there it was sorry. I love you all. Um, I'm really trying not to use gendered language, so I'm so sorry. I love you all, and I. And just beyond grateful to have you with me. Okay. So for the main dish, I'm going to talk about my history with food and disordered eating. And I am going to hopefully not talk your ear off. So I, um, was definitely like a little bit bigger growing up. I would by no means describe my body as marginalized or it was never something that people expressed concern over to me. So I didn't really notice, honestly. Like I I kind of noticed when I was younger, you know, when I was in like second or third grade, a boy uh, asked if I was pregnant, which is just like ridiculous. I didn't even know Yeah, that was just like the most mind-boggling thing ever. Because I was just like, wait, what does it mean to be pregnant? Like, I just didn't understand anything. Like, I was so young. But it was never something that I was self-conscious about. It just kind of was what it was. And then somewhere along the way, probably when my hormones really started, like, full- rushing in, (laughs) Um, maybe eighth grade, I think eighth grade or freshman year, I went to a wedding, a family friend's wedding. And I've told the story a thousand times, but I went to a family friend's wedding and I just looked around and this dress that I was so excited to be wearing, I no longer felt pretty in. And I was like, why do I look different than like literally everyone else? Like, I don't understand why I look different than all of my godmother's family, like all of her kids. And it just was really... I was just confused and I felt so bad about myself. I was just like, oh, this sucks. Like I I feel like I can't wear the same things that they can. And I why have I never noticed this? And so I went to my mom the week after and I was like, mom, I really want to lose weight. And she was like, oh my gosh, your dad and I have been waiting for you to come to us about that. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) you have. And like to her defense, like she's probably had to hear me tell the story, you know, a thousand times. And she probably doesn't even remember saying that, but it's one of those moments that really like sticks out in my mind. And, I know that karma is going to come back around and like, I'm going to have a kid one day and they're going to have some podcast or something where they like talk about something that I said that traumatized them. But, (laughs) um, that it just, it really sticks out in my mind. And I, that was kind of the first time that I realized like, Oh, is it not okay to be bigger than other people? Like, do you have to be trying to lose weight and okay, like I'll do that. So I went on Jenny Craig and, um, For those of you who have ever thought to try Jenny Craig, like don't. I don't even know if they still exist anymore. The food is so bad. It's better than some of the other ones, but it's like bad. But I just remember running around the school like a freshman in high school being like, I'm going to be skinny. Like, oh my gosh. And all my friends were like, didn't understand why I was eating these weird little bagged salads. And like, it was just so, it was so bizarre that I remember going into Jenny Craig and having a having one of their counselors like realize that I was 14 and be like, well, technically we're not supposed to put anyone under 16 on a diet, but like I will for you and put me on this super low calorie restrictive diet. And it was just like, I am shocked by the fact that that happened that I, I mean, granted I was with my mom. So that that's why she was probably like, okay, it's fine. But like that still doesn't make it okay to put someone who's like literally going through puberty and they're most like crucial development years of their life on a diet. Like I I just wish that there had been more education and for someone to be like, hey, you don't need to do that. You know, if you want a diet, like wait till you're a full grown adult to make those decisions. Like don't diet when your brain is still developing and when your your body image is is still developing and and your sense of identity. So as you might expect I gained all the weight back plus some, because that's what happens. It's called a rebound weight gain. Um, and I didn't really notice because I thought that I really genuinely believe that once you diet, it just stays off forever. Like you're like, Oh, because that's what they tell you. They tell you that they literally are like, this is going to, you know, cure quote unquote, whatever, um, uh, unhappiness you have about your body, which is just like a blatant lie. And it's going to be amazing. You're going to change your life. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like all this like horrible, um, rhetoric around what weight loss really means for your life. And I believed it. And then when I gained all the way back, I was so ashamed. And I, you know, looked in the mirror one day, I was like freaking out, like, oh my gosh, how did I let this happen? Little did I know that was literally, but physiology. Like that's just my body trying to gain the weight back. Cause it was like, nah, bitch, like we're, we're out here trying to freaking grow up. Like stop, stop like starving yourself. So I went on a bunch of other diets. Finally, I like quote unquote learned to like eat healthy or whatever, which was highly restrictive. So at the time I really thought like, this is the beginning of my nutrition journey. This was between junior and senior year of high school. I was like, Oh, this is my nutrition journey. I'm like learning so much and so healthy. And of course it wasn't like that. (laughs) Um, I was really restricting. And like, now I look back and see some of the things that I did, some of the, you know, ways that I was eating. And it's just like, I'm kind of horrified at no wonder I like never had any energy to like do things, you know, it's just, it's, it's shocking to me, um, that this was so normal and, you know, basically long story short, one my first exposure to fat phobia, I guess, in a way that felt very personal and unfair was, um, when I was a senior in high school, because I didn't have words for any of this, right? Like I, I had no, you couldn't have told me what, I just, I didn't know. I was so young. Okay. So I was a senior in high school and I had lost pretty much all the weight again um, between the end of junior year and the beginning of senior year. And I went back to school and all these boys started talking to me for the first time ever. Like they were like, oh my gosh, Winnie, you know, whatever. And I had been at the school for a couple of years now. Like, (laughs) you know, I was just kind of like, excuse me, like, why are you talking to me? Like, literally, what? the hell like why <laughs> i don't understand why you've never given me the time of day before and now all of a sudden you're like trying to see what's up with me like that it was just really frustrating so I, um, that was the first time that I really was like frustrated because I was just like, ah, this sucks. Like this really sucks that people are nicer to me only when I lose weight. And you know, little did I know that me like losing weight contributes to this problem and me like celebrating weight loss contributes to the problem. But I definitely, that was one of my first, I think that was the root of like the angst that I have now about diet culture. Like that was a little, the fire flicking inside of me of like, this isn't fair. Like this is not fair. the way that. Um, thinner people get treated. And... I'm grateful for that because I can look back at that moment and be like, okay, like that was the social justice warrior in me being like, no, this isn't right. Like speak up, but I didn't know how. So anyway, fast forward to college. I had, I was a debutante. Like I said, I was upper middle class. If you don't know what being a debutante is, like, don't look it up, please. (laughs) It's basically when you like come out to society, uh, it's women in like, prestigious communities. And by that, I mean like rich white people stuff, like come out to society and you have to wear a wedding gown. It's a whole thing. It's a whole freaking show. I am grateful that I did it because for those of you who've been following me a while, you know that my dad passed away a few years ago. And that was the one time when my dad got to like see me in a white gown, which I thought was nice. Like we got to dance and we have really nice pictures together. and And I think that's really special. So anyway, we had to buy the dress in like June, And then I went to school and everyone was talking about like the dreaded freshman. For those of you who don't know, I went to Boston university and I was as far away as possible living in dorms. And I was kind of freaking out because I was like, oh my gosh, I have to eat at a, like in a cafeteria. I have to eat in a a dining hall, right? Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with whatever I had been doing with my restriction. And I definitely had heard a lot about this sort of freshman weight gain that happens. And I was like, oh my gosh, that can't happen to me. And my mom basically was like, if you come back and you can't fit in this dress, like I'm going to be pissed because it was an expensive dress. And I was like, okay. So that was like, you know, and my poor mom, I love you, mom. If you're listening to this, which she probably is, she's so proud of me. It's really cute. Um, but I, yeah, like I, I know it's not her fault by any means. Um, this is me- These are messages that are communicated to women constantly, but it is something that's like really interesting to me is that, you know, this is, the, I had to keep my body right for a dress, right? So I um, was like at that point really intense about calorie counting and stuff like that, like counting my bites. It was just really, it was really, really disordered. And I remember at the Town ball, I like fit into my dress, but barely I was like squeezing into it, but I fit into it. And I, you know, did the whole thing. And then we sat down for the dinner portion. And at that point, like the pictures were over, it was just like the dancing, whatever. And I inhaled my dinner. And then I proceeded to eat everything left over on everyone else's plates. I ate like multiple desserts. I was just, it was like a full on binge. And throughout freshman year, I've really been struggling with binge eating. And even in high school, I was struggling with binge eating where I would just like eat in the middle of the night. I always talk about how my binge food was like quesadillas. So I would sneak out into my kitchen whenever I was home and like, cook up these really delicious quesadillas. Okay. Like really delicious. Um, they were like four cheese quesadillas with like brie and goat cheese and, you know, blue cheese and all this. It was so good. Oh, and I get it all crispy. I going make a damn good quesadilla. I'll tell you that. But, um, so yeah, I used to like sneak out in the kitchen and make those in the middle of the night and I would eat like three or four of the quesadillas and then like run back to bed and hope no one caught me. Like that's the kind of intensity with which my binge eating and like the secrecy and shame around it. It was just, it was a lot. So, um, I used to, you know, binge on certain foods that I thought were like low calorie foods. And then I would end up like eating so many of them because I never felt satisfied, which is something that we will definitely be talking about more in this podcast, but it kind of spiraled. So like in a sophomore and junior and even senior year, like my body image was a major theme. If I was not feeling good in my body, I would like hysterically cry, like throw a tantrum. Um, I think sophomore year was probably the worst because I was like the most unhappy sophomore year. I definitely used my body as a way of like distracting myself. Um, and it just got like, it colors most of my experiences in college. And like, even after that, it's just like a constant theme is how I felt about my body and how I felt in clothes and how I felt, you know, in certain situations or like about food and, and there, they are the there will be these little memories that pop up um, of things that I did to try to lose weight or whatever it is, including, you know, some pretty dangerous things that I had done and that I'm not proud of. And I don't, it's sad. So that's kind of my story. The way that I ended up recovering was kind of on accident. Honestly, (laughs) I know no one's going to want to hear that. Like, okay, cool. You just like accidentally recovered. It's it's, like difficult process, but it was, I was, um so my my dad passed away right before I went in my dietetic internship. And for those of you who have had a parent pass away at a just horribly early age, um you know how isolating it can be. And while my dad was sick and while he was like declining, um I was in a rela- and I was in a relationship that I was just like horribly toxic. Um, I was searching for happiness wherever I could find it. And I just was like a freaking mess. And I was just bottling it all up and like carrying it all on my shoulders. And then when my dad finally passed away, it was this weird thing of like, am I like getting emotional right now? It was this weird thing of, I felt like I grew up so quickly. And it was partially a relief because, um, For those of you who don't know, I don't know if I've ever actually talked about this openly, but my dad was a gambling addict for a lot of years. He was homeless for a short period for like a year and a half, actually, when I was in high school. And I didn't really know any of this stuff. He, my, him and my mom divorced when I was in sixth grade and he kept a lot of this hidden from us until he finally got help, which was amazing. And he's, he was such a good person. Like my dad was seriously the best. He was incredible, um, he like, I I went to his, so he went to like a a live-in drug and alcohol rehab place for his gambling addiction. And I went to his graduation. He like graduated early from his program, which is like so classic, my dad. And everyone there was just like, oh my gosh, Paul, like, we love you. We love you. Like, this is your daughter. Like, oh my gosh. You know, he was just such a well-liked person. And, um, you know, just to give you a little bit of ba- more background on my dad. So he was, he was always a very good speaker. He was in speech and debate growing up. He was like a, such a good writer. I have some of these short stories that he wrote um, on like a typewriter. Like I literally have a few copies of or like a few of the original stories that he wrote that didn't end up getting trashed or like thrown out during the times that he was moving around and like struggling with his homelessness and stuff like that. So, so he has a few of these short stories and yeah, he just was always, and so he ended up being a defense attorney. My mom is a district attorney. Like, why do you think I like to talk so much? I'm also an only child. So that's why I love the internet. (laughs) Um, but uh, he was a defense attorney who's so, so gifted. And then when I was in second grade, he ended up having a stroke and he had the entire right side of his body was paralyzed and he had to recover for a lot of years. And that's when my mom actually found out that he was a gambling addict was when he had a stroke, because obviously finances become a huge issue when you're in the hospital for months. Um And so my mom had to finally, like, she was, you know, making enough on her own that she didn't realize he wasn't bringing home any money, that he was gambling it all away. But then as she looked into it, like it was all gone. And he, he always told me that he remembers being in the hospital or maybe he was in the physical rehab center afterwards. But whenever my mom had found out about the gambling and he couldn't talk. Like he, not only was he paralyzed, so like his mouth didn't really move right, but he, um, his brain, like where the, um, where the bleed was that caused the stroke, um, was right over his like speech center. And so he couldn't like find the words to talk. And it took him a long time to actually even be able to talk at all but he was n- he never was able to talk the same again so like that was the end of his career like he literally lost his career he lost his gift of speech which was like the thing you know the like his thing um and he always used to wow <laughs> I was not expecting to go here with us all right we're doing it So he always used to, um, tell me about how, when my mom found out that he was a gambling addict, she just like called him up and like lit into him. And my mom, when she was a lawyer, was like one of the scariest people you've ever met. Like she was a freaking shark. She (laughs) would eat you alive. She could kill you with one glance. And the few times I got in trouble in high school, like she, (laughs) that was real, like oh my gosh, the way that she would just like look at my friends who did something wrong, was just like, it just makes your heart like drop into your butt. Like it's just terrifying. And so she's literally like lighting into him over the phone and he can't respond. And he was like, that was my personal hell was not being able to speak back as your mom just like tore me a new one. (laughs) And I I just find that moment so funny. And I actually ended up telling that at his memorial because it's just like, you know, we always used to joke, like if he could survive that, he would survive anything. I literally don't know how I got on this topic, but you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, my dad was freaking awesome and he was sick for a long time. It was a lot of taking care of him. Um, so he had a heart deformity. That's the reason he had a stroke. And the reason why he had, you know, pre-diabetes and all this stuff is because he had a heart deformity. And so, um, cholesterol would literally, and like plaque, um, would get stuck in the, in his heart. And so by, the time he had, he got a pacemaker after he had a stroke, but um, he had had multiple heart attacks. Like, I think in the time that I even knew him, he had heart attacks before I was born, but in the time that I knew him, he had like eight or nine heart attacks. Some of them were together. So he would have like multiple heart attacks in a row. So he'd end up in the hospital. Um, and again, I'm an only child. So this was like very, very difficult for me. I didn't know how to like tell people about him. I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know like how long he was going to be with me. Um, And, you know, in his sort of last year or so, um, it was really hard. Um, He, it was something that I didn't know how to deal with and I didn't know how to get help for because I was in school and I was just trying to get school done. I was just trying to Finish school and move home, and like figure out my life from there. And a part of that was definitely like throwing myself into something that I that could distract me. And dieting was the same thing; it was throwing myself into something that could distract me. So, anyway, fast forward a year. And I was about to go to my dietetic internship. Like I was about to leave. And I was actually up in San Francisco for Outside Lands, which is this music festival in Golden Gate Park that I used to love. And I got a call. So I had seen my dad the week before. He was in an assisted living home. And he, we had already done the, like having the conversation about planning a funeral, which by the way, being like 21, 22, talking to your dad about what his funeral is going to be like is the most morbid shit ever. And like, my dad was always so great. Like he literally would just like laugh about it and be like, you know, he never was like, never wanted me to cry in front of him, which, you know, is not like the greatest, but it was, it's just, you know, that was my dad. And so but I remember the week before I went up to outside lands and I was like not handling this well. I didn't know how often I was supposed to go see him. I always came up with excuses to like not go see him, which I felt so guilty about, but it was just so hard for me. Like, you know, how is that easy for anyone to like see your dad declining like that? And so I went up to outside lands and the week before he had like let me cry for the first time ever, which was scary. Um, and didn't feel good. And we had to like sign the power of attorney and like all these things that you just don't expect. Like death is so complicated, so much more complicated than just like grief. You know, It's like legally complicated (laughs) and it's so inconvenient to be so complicated because you have to do so much shit after someone dies and it's just like the most, it's, yeah, it's a lot. So I went up to Outside Lands, got a call Sunday morning And I like knew in my gut, I just knew instinctually that that call was not a good call. You know, I got a call that he passed away. And so my friend immediately, my friend Bridget, what's up girl? She drove me down and we got lasagna and then I had to spend the next week. And of course my mom was like traveling because she just does that. She's awesome. She lives the life that everyone wants to be living, which is like retired traveling the world and like living her best life. And she um, was literally on the top of uh, Machu Picchu <laughs> when um, I found out. And so it was going to take her like three days to get down the mountain. And so she flew in for the memorial, but I had to plan the whole thing like two weeks before I left for my internship. And um, it was like so beautiful. Um, I actually have a picture on my desk right now of my mom and I from that. And she's like chugging a bottle of Patron and I'm just like hugging her. Um, I said that no black clothes. I kept it very light. Like I wanted it to be a celebration of life, which I thought was awesome. Um, I got this amazing Italian place. So we're Italian. If you can't tell by my last name to cater. And it was the first time that I got to talk about the fact that my dad was an addict, um, and like how hard that was for me. And it felt like the world was lifted off my shoulders, literally. Like I felt this huge sense of relief after he passed away, which sucks. That sucks to say. Um, but it's true, like, when you're carrying around the grief of this and to be able to finally, like, have it out in the open was a huge relief for me. And also to not have to, like, worry about him anymore because, like, he was constantly so sick. And, like, it was just really scary. Like, I was always waiting for that call. And I always felt so guilty about going to college so far away. And it was just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I swear I won't be crying in most episodes just today. (laughs) Lucky you. Everyone's going to be like, I'm not listening. But if you like emotional shit, here you go. Um, Yeah. So one of the things that happens when you lose someone that close to you at such a young age is things get really put into perspective. And a lot of the growing up that I've done the past few years since my dad passed away has been so like, it's felt like light speed. I literally, I've, I felt like I had to grow up in a way that most of my friends can't understand. And now that I'm running a business, I feel like I'm growing up in a way that most of my friends can't understand. And yeah, it's isolating. And so back to my recovery story, because apparently this is where this all started. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> who would have thought I had to get all this off my chest? Um, my recovery kind of happened throughout this time because one, I needed to like figure out what I wanted to do, like what area I wanted to study, what, what niche I wanted to go into. And the emotional side of food is always something that I've wanted to do, always, since like I started it in college, because I wanted to be a therapist originally. And I had always been an emotional eater. I had always like struggled with my relationship with food. And I knew when I switched my major that that's what I wanted to do. And yet, you know, when I got done with my internship, passed my boards or my like, it's a registration exam, but when I passed that, um, I kind of experimented, I dabbled with some different routes like functional medicine and stuff like that. And it took me a while to come back to this. And it was only in my recovery process that I realize that this was like me going through this recovery is needed to happen in order for me to really understand why this path was going to be so aligned for me and how I was gonna be able to help people. And yeah, so I went, um, I just kind of started it. Like I started learning about intuitive eating. I read like every book that I could get my hand on, on this stuff. Like I was so fascinated with it and I followed everyone and I was like doing different, you know, online courses and stuff like that to learn about this. And through this like immersion process and through also just like having to grieve my dad and being in therapy, I just... I immersed myself in it and now I like live and breathe this. And it's so great because I, it's never felt more aligned. Like nothing feels more aligned than what I'm doing with like intuitive eating and helping people heal their binge eating and like heal their relationship with food. Nothing in my life has ever felt more aligned. Um, so that's really cool. It's just been awesome. And so I like to share my personal stories around my recovery with my audience online, because I feel like y'all do like that. I went through this as well. Um, and I also like to hear about other people's recovery because I just find it interesting. One of the ways that this sort of manifests is that you get really isolated in it. You become so ashamed of the way that you eat and the way that you're handling food and whatever. And also a lot of this, as you can tell by the fact that I just went on a 30-minute story or whatever this was about my dad, a lot of this comes with like suppressing, you know, issues about other things and distracting yourself from other areas of your life and other things that you're trying to distract yourself from. And that is inherently shameful because if you're trying to suppress certain emotions about things, it's because you don't feel like it's okay to feel those feelings. And you feel like it's not okay to express those emotions. You feel like it's not okay, whatever you're upset about or whatever you're like having these feelings about. And then we distract ourselves by dieting and by changing our bodies and by, you know, getting really wrapped up in beauty and, or in health or like being perfect, like this perfectionism. And part of what having a business has forced me to do is let go of perfectionism. Cause it's all about imperfect action. Otherwise you're never getting anywhere. Losing my dad taught me that life is freaking short. Um, and it's not certain you know, this isolation and this sort of like resistance to hang out with people or to go do things until you've lost weight, like everything you're, you put your life on pause until you've lost weight, which may never happen. That's just like, it's too bad. It's too bad that we, that that's normalized because that's something you don't get that time back and it's not saying that every single day you have to go out and do something amazing. You know, there's people, there's like entrepreneurs will be like every day, I like say yes to something new or like whatever. I, I don't believe that. I'm all for self-care in the form of staying in and watching Netflix or like journaling or reading a book and just like chilling out. But I don't, I think that there's a difference between having a life driven by fear and anxiety and then having a life driven by intuition and I my goal is to one continue to evolve and to grow and to heal so that I can always be as aligned with my intuition as possible um not it's not always going to be perfect, but it is you know just just aiming for that and really working on that and making sure to do that emotional that deep emotional clearing work that needs to happen in order for you to see through the anxieties and the the fears that the ego holds on to so tightly um. And then, two, like I want to create a space for you all to do the same with me and to join me in this process. So, yeah, that is my story. Wow, that was a story. Um, (laughs) Yeah, my gosh. So, if any of you relate to this and want to message me, I love getting messages about that. I know I'm always amazed at how many people follow me who have lost their dads or lost a parent. Um, I don't know how you sense that on me or find me, but. I see you, and I love you, and I want to give you a really big hug. I want to give a quick shout out to an organization that I've actually never done this yet, and I've been, it's been something that I've been wanting to do for a while. When I was in therapy, she gave me the suggestion. It's called the dinner party, and it's for people who are in their young, in their twenties or thirties or whatever who um, lose a direct relative. Um, it's it's a way to get together with other people your age because. Like I said before, it's isolating. No one knows what this is like unless they've lost a parent to you. And it's not to say that that pain is worse or whatever. It's just different. It's different pain. It's, it's so specific. And um, the dinner party can be, you know, they happen in major cities. You can also, if they're not happening in your city, you can apply to be a host. And you basically, you just talk and grieve and hang out. And it seems really cool. It's something that is on my list for this year to do. So I wanted to shout that out. Okay. So before we get into the dessert section, I want to quickly plug my new program that I'm starting. So, uh, towards the end of February, I'm going to be launching, I think it's on the 25th, but I'll have to double check on the date. It's a food freedom jumpstart program. It's a 16 week food freedom. Um, I, I call it like an accelerated food healing program. So like you may have figured out if you've been following me or whatever, recovery doesn't happen overnight. This is not a diet. It's not a quick fix. It's not anything like that. It is a long journey that will continue to be something that you need to work on and practice throughout your life. It's a it's a practice. It's not a destination. But I don't want you to have to <laughs> be in... Therapy for like a year or be in counseling or coaching or whatever for like a year. So what my food freedom jumpstart program is, is I'm only going to have 16 spots available for this round. Um, and then as I go on, if I have more interest, I'll, I'll start a new, I'll launch it again, maybe in a couple months. Um, but it's a four month program where you learn all of the tools that you're going to need to not only free yourself from the diet binge cycle and to deal with stress and to deal with the inner bully. But you're also going to learn um, just how I go about um, healing emotions, identifying problems in your life and and working on them and healing them and really having the tools to be in charge of your own healing. And you're going to learn obviously about nutrition and stuff like that, but that's all so little. Like for those of you who are going to be in this program, most people who work with me like know about nutrition. That's not the problem. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like knowing too much about nutrition. So um, of course you're going to learn all of that. But I think the big key here is that you're going to learn how to do these things in your own life. And so I tailor the, the coaching based on your learning style um and different personality things like different tests that I do to see, you know, what kind of learner you are and and what kind of personality you have and what things you're drawn to. And then I give you all these tools that I use with you and I show you like how I use them so that you can use them with yourself. And we figure out like I teach you how to listen to your body so that you don't need me anymore. I want you to be able to like have this really powerful intuitive relationship with yourself and to be able to get out of your own way in your healing. And really, you know, thrive and and start living your life in a way that feels authentic and aligned and eating in a way that feels authentic and aligned. Um, and that's what this program is gonna teach. So I will link to that in the show notes, but you can go to Whitneycatalano.com slash food dash freedom um, and find out more about that if you're interested. So for our dessert section, one of the things that I thought was really interesting and the way that I wanted to end this segment today, this little dessert section, is with something that was really powerful to me. Um, And I promised him, so a friend of mine... Uh, said this on New Year's. We went camping for New Year's. And one of my friends said something that was so powerful. And I asked him if I could share it on Instagram, but little does he know it's going in this episode. Um, But he said that his, because we were going around the circle, around the fire, um, sharing our our intentions for 2019. And he said that his intention was to allow himself to feel emotions more deeply and to really have that sort of like childlike wonder around his feelings more because I don't know about you all but for me at least like when I had emotions and this is why it resonated with me so deeply when I had emotions when I was in like middle school and high school I thought my emotions were like literally the most special emotions in the world I was like I am you know I am the most like moody like I loved there's like pride in being moody and I was so in awe of my emotions. Like I thought they were just so cool and that I was so cool and whatever. And when he said this, um, he wants that sort of childlike wonder around emotions. It really like clicked with me because I was like, damn, yeah, that's so specific of when you're a kid and you're, you think that your emotions are like literally the biggest thing in the world and you're so fascinated by them. And all you want to do is feel them. Like that just, everything is like, Oh, like you just want to sit in those feelings and like really like, cry out for help. Like that is just mm, like, I loved that. And then I became an adult and like shut down all of it. just like, shut it down, get it out. Like no one's got time for this. And guess what happens? You end up burning out. You end up having like breakdowns because you've been suppressing emotions for so long that we become afraid of our feelings. You become afraid of your emotions because you think that the emotions are going to be so much worse than they actually are. And I described this in a later interview, but um, I used to describe it to my therapist as like giant game of emotional Jenga where like, when you have to access one feeling for something, like you have to like dig into one feeling, you risk the whole tower falling down and that's what like suppressing your emotions feels like is that you might need one emotion, right? But you risk the whole tower falling down on you and so accessing those emotions can feel very scary. Like you're like everything's going to come crashing down around you and like who's got time for that? So really the best way to do that is to one, like set out some time during the week, whether it's with a therapist, if you have the funds for that, or um, or if you have the privilege to like have access to healthcare to get a therapist or whatever, or just like setting out a time, if you can, like a half hour, an hour a week where you just do some journaling, you do some crying, you do some like deep dives. Like again, not everyone's going to have the time and the resources for this, but I would encourage you to really do that and and allow yourself to cry or to feel these feelings and like write them out and get them off your chest so that you're not carrying them around and you're not so scared of what's going to happen when you do feel them. Once they come out and they're out of your body, like it feels so freaking good. Um it's just leading up to those feels. Like if I had known that I was going to cry during this podcast episode and I was in this mood of like wanting to suppress that, then I probably would not be even be recording this. I would have been like getting in my own way with what I want to be doing with my career, which is like not not the MO anymore. Again, I'm feeling really good. So and I and I'm 2019 is all about feeling your feelings. So I don't know. That's just something that really stuck out to me. So yeah, that's my little rant for today. I'm going to end on that note. Let me know what your 2019 intentions are. Maybe I'll start a little thread in the Facebook group as soon as this as um, as soon as this episode goes live so we can talk about it. And I know it's been like a month since 2019 started. Like, yikes, how did that happen? But yeah, I wanna know. Tell me what you're thinking. And I hope you like this episode. Thank you for letting me cry and letting me feel my feels and tell you about my dad. This is like, you know, it's good. It feels really good to get this off my chest and not scary at all. Honestly, it feels just like right. That, that happens. So, um, I cannot wait. Our next episode is going to be like, ah, it was such a cool interview is coming. So I will talk to you all so soon. Thank you again for tuning in. I am just so excited to see where the show goes. All right. Bye-bye.